Do you think Christians should look different? I mean, not clothing-wise. or I mean, do you think they should look different than what you see as sort of the run-of-the-mill person in life? Do you think that a Christian should um, act in a way that's attractive to people? Or do you think Christians should come across as judgmental people, envious people, people that are hungering for power and money and prestige maybe? Do you think Christians should give an alternative look to how you can live life in this world? Well, of course the answer to that is yes, Carrie. Christians should look, they should act, they should be different. But here's the question to us, and it's a question not only to you, it's a question to me. Do I look and act different in such a way that's not like a a weird kind of religious person, but somebody who's fully alive in Christ like we talk about and to some greater, grander purpose? Do I have an attraction appeal to me? Not because of how I look in my style, my clothes, or how I can sort of carry myself with the the elite of the world. But do I have an attractive appeal? Because there's some spark, there's some life to me that's different. It's a question that each of us can ask. But I tell you what, it's an attitude and um, an essence that we desire to have to the world, but it gets beat up every single week. And you are tempted to be just like everybody else, to be the run-of-the-mill person that, that maybe has a critical edge on you, that doesn't have a loving heart, to be able to have somebody who's out there pursuing those same dreams of prosperity and wealth and prestige, just like everybody else. You see, the world presses us into its mold to be just like everybody else. But the scriptures teach us that we are called to be different, not for the sake of being weird or, uh, you know, obnoxious, but we're to be different because Christ longs for people to be like himself. And Jesus was an attractive person. He was an attractive person by the very life that he lived. And Jesus drew crowds to him because of his life. Jesus also had his uh, enemies, didn't he? That's why he ended up on a cross. And the enemies were really people that didn't want him to change the normal. Status quo. In the religious circles, this is the way it's to be. He came and he brought a brand new life. Well, one of the most vibrant people that Jesus got a hold of to give this vibrant attracting of life was one of those people who was status run-of-the-mill religious types that just, you know, had a condemning spirit towards other people. And his name was Saul. And God got a hold of this Saul guy, transformed his life through a a visual presence of his very being. Jesus appeared to him changed his name to Paul. And Paul became the greatest missionary this world has ever known. 
We pray for missionaries here like we just did this morning, which is a great privilege of ours. Well, the greatest missionary that I know is the Apostle Paul. And he was forwarding and taking this gospel, the good news of what Jesus Christ did into all the world, the known world at that time, places that were hostile, hostile, indifferent people that were uh, infighting, people that were uh, seeking self-centered gain and power. He took the gospel into the known world that time and Jesus began to change people. He took the gospel, which is the good news that Jesus Christ lived, died, he rose from the grave, that he's here to transform your life. Even this morning, he can turn it around if you will repent and follow him. And because he came to give life and he defeated the enemy. And he can defeat the enemy within you if you'll let him come and dwell within you. There's so much good news that's embellished in the idea, the concept, the gospel, which means good news. It wasn't just that Paul took the good news in word. He took it in person. Paul, they say he probably wasn't that attractive, sort of short, stocky, balding maybe. He said he had a thorn in the flesh, which is maybe a physical ailment of some sorts. Paul wasn't maybe overly uh, effervescent and, and, and vibrant in his personhood physically. But the passion that he had and the heart that he had and the joy that he carried was contagious. Last week we began a series called Joy in Christ. Studies in the book of Philippians, which is an epistle. It's a letter that Paul wrote while he was in prison, most likely in Rome, to Christians that were in a town called Philippi. A town that today, if you were to go there, is merely ruins. There's an other town that's on the outskirts of those ruins. But back in those days, in the first century, it was a vibrant uh, place of commerce and traffic and livelihood. Paul wrote the Christians there because he started the church there. He'd passed through there on his way. And we looked at that last week. And you can look at Acts 16 and rediscover that whole story for yourself. But Paul was endeared to these people. But these people were endeared to Paul. And the reason was he represented life and strength to them in the gospel in ways that maybe they'd never seen before. And if you're going to give attention, real attention to this epistle, this letter that he wrote to the Christians in Philippi called the Philippians, uh, that you're going to have to understand that he was a different bird. He was unique. But I don't think he was unique like, oh, well, Paul's Paul, and I'm not a Paul, and I don't need to be that fired up for Jesus and the gospel like he was. But I'm like, really? Is not Paul sort of an example of the kind of passion in life that we should have. He wasn't a weird bird. He was just a different bird. He was someone who was marching to the beat of a different drummer, someone who's had his focus not on the things of the world around him, but he had his focus on the things of God. I find a lot of endearment in my own personal life as I read after Paul. Sure, he had his quirks, and we could talk about them sometimes, and, and he had some of his edges and those kinds of things. But there's the life of Paul that's attractive to me. He was a passionate man. He was an entrepreneurial kind of man. Yes, he was a tent maker by profession, and he continued to make tents in places he went to be able to support himself. But he was all consumed with getting the gospel to people who did not know it just like the missionaries that we prayed for this morning in the Christian Missionary Alliance. He rises to the top. 
in many ways. But what was it that made him rise to the top? Well, that's what we're looking at in this epistle. I'm going to pick up where we sort of stepped off last week a little bit. Last week, we gave reference that he had made his way all the way up to Philippi through the Asia uh, province there, and he'd started the church, and he made his way back uh, down to Athens, Corinth, and back into Jerusalem. That was the second missionary journey. Later on, somehow, some way, ends up in prison, most likely in Rome, and he writes this letter in Rome back to the Christians at Philippi. But that was his known world at the time, and he wanted to get the gospel there. In fact, it's recorded that most likely when he was even writing this letter, he had a passion to get out of prison so he could get on to go to Spain because he wanted the gospel to go to Spain. But that's the map. This is part of the letter from last week. This is one of the highlight verses of last week. Philippians 1 6 says, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Who was he thinking of when he wrote that? He was writing it to the Christians in Philippi. They were young and they were challenged in some ways, but he was excited for him. He was joy-filled. He'd write those same words to you and I today. Because he knows one thing, that God's in control of all that's happening. No matter if you've had a great week, maybe you've had a crummy week, maybe you've been a sickie this week, maybe you got good news on the financial front this week, maybe you found out that you were poorer than you realized this week. Doesn't matter. He who began the good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. High confidence in God's sovereignty that God was at work. Philippians 1.12, it said this, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. We looked at this last week. I want to pull out another thing that, that highlighted here. We, we made mention last week of what had happened to me. What had happened was he gotten thrown into prison. He was waiting for uh, his day in Caesar's court. And it was probably a house prison. He was chained to a guard, most likely six hours at a time. And then they would change the guard one at a time. But the Apostle Paul was in this house arrest kind of environment. And you got to remember, if you study Paul, Paul was probably, I think he's a little bit of an antsy guy. He's like, let's get at it. Let's make things happen, right? Type A personality, let's go forward. And here he is just stuck in a house, waiting any of you guys like that? You like to charge the next hill and sometimes God just sticks you there and says, wait. Well, that's where he's at. But he's discovered that what God's doing is actually advancing the gospel. Why? Instead of him preaching to all the Roman people, he was influencing one elite guard at a time and probably leading them to Christ. Every six hours, he'd get a new one. And he would share. And it said that everybody in the whole area sort of knew what was happening. But here's the interesting thing. Why did he write this letter? Well, he wrote this letter for multiple reasons, but in part because the Christians in Philippi wanted to know, how you doing? How you doing? Like you and I today, you see somebody you haven't seen for a while. What do they say to you? How you doing? How's it going? Well, he needed to report back to them through Ephroditus, who's going to take this message back. How you doing? All right. Now, what goes through your mind when somebody asks you how you doing? A lot of times I'll go to myself, well, I'm doing really well in all things considering this and that. And if I'm having a good day, a good week, and, and I might say a few little things about that. I'm, it's going good. It's going good. 
lot of times you just say it's going good because you don't want to have a conversation, right? It's going good. Then there's other days when you you just would like to say, do you really want to know how it's going? I'll tell you how it's going. It ain't. It ain't going at all. That's how well it's going, right? Well, all of us could report in today, how you doing, right? And maybe you can share afterwards more like you shared during turn and greet. How you doing? Paul, how you doing? How you doing? You're, you're in prison. You're in jail. You're, you're strapped to someone. How you doing? Here's the weird thing about this letter. He doesn't tell them how he's doing. He says, now I want you to know. Now, don't you think on the other side of that, it should say something. Now, I want you to know that these shackles that are in, they're really tight. I want you to know that the food here sort of stinks in this hotel. And I want you to know that I'm really antsy because I'm really weary of being here and I want to get on to some other places with the gospel. I, I want you to know that I, I'm just not doing that well physically and not doing that well emotionally. I'm sort of down. I've got some depression going on. I'm fighting. I mean, where is that, Paul? He doesn't say that in this letter. What Paul says in this letter is, I want you to know, brother and sister, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. He takes a few steps back and he says, you want to know how I'm doing? I'm going to tell you because I am directly connected. My well-being is directly connected with how the gospel is advancing. That's how closely he has identified. Sometimes I feel bad because people ask me, how are you doing? And I immediately start to want to talk about what God's doing or the church. Is kind of not, because I, not because I'm some like, oh, wow, you're really a spiritual person, Carrie. That's where your mind went. It's like my whole life. It's one of the blessings. I suppose it's also maybe one of the curses in life. I do not have my job world, my personal world, and my church world. It's all one and the same to me. My life is very fluid back and forth. In fact, if you had to... If I had to clock hours, I don't know how I would clock hours because it just sort of ebbs and flows into all that. My life is the kingdom of God. And it's a blessing because sometimes I don't think I would do very good clocking in and clocking out of some workplaces, right? I get to live ministry, live my life, job-wise, all that in a very congruent kind of state. Paul's like that as well. And so if you're going to ask Paul how he's doing, he's going to tell you how he's doing because his heart is so passionate about the advance of the gospel. And so I can identify with that sometimes. You ask me how I'm doing, I could tell you, well, I, I dodged the bullet. My household was sick this week. We quarantined people in the suite, and they all got better. I was glad about that. I dodged the bullet. I did not get sick, so that's good. I had some encouraging things happen to me on a personal level this week. But really, if you're going to ask me how I'm doing, I'm going to say, we're doing pretty good. We're in a great season as a church. God's multiplying people. He's given a passionate heart. I think we're reaching some people like we've never reached before. I think we're up into the right trajectory. God knows, you know, pray God, you know, protects that, you know, and I'm excited about my rooted group. I got 17 people in my rooted group on Wednesday night, and I see what God's going to start doing in their life, and there's going to be another. By the way, young adults, you got rooted starting tonight. If you're, you're not on board, get on board of that. Pierce, what time is it? 5.30 or something. 
Oh, it's uh, tomorrow. It's a Monday night. I'm sorry. And so talk to Pierce over here. But there's maybe eight to ten young adults in Rooted. I'm like, man, we've got a bunch more people in Rooted, which is our discipleship group, to be able to grow for ten weeks, right? My life group. We had a good life group this week. I could, I could tell you. And I'm like, wait a second. People are asking me how I'm doing. Why am I talking about churchy stuff? Well, because I'm thinking about the gospel and, and God changing people's lives. Here's the question. If people ask you, how you doing? Where do you go? Where do you go? And you don't need to come off with all the nice Jesus Bible answers. I'm not saying that. Be real. Okay? Be transparent. But maybe how you're doing needs to be more impacted by what God's doing than what you've been doing. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in the chains. I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and the sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. You know, the Apostle Paul, he sort of stewarded this gospel like it was a precious dear baby to not only protect it, but to be able to nurture it, to see it bring life to people. I was driving here this morning and praying and some song came on the radio related to the gospel. And, and you know, it was a beautiful Southern California day, thanking God that I live in this kind of beautiful weather versus where he can be in the Midwest during wintertime. And I, um, I said, Lord, we get to do it again today. Thank you. We get to offer hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ to people. The gospel. Paul said in Rome, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation to all those who believe. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And then he goes on to talk about the wrath of God being poured out from heaven against the godlessness and the wickedness of men who suppress the truth with their wickedness. Since what can be known about God has been made plain to them because God has made it plain to them. But then as you move through, it says God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And a little bit further on, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. And you continue to read through Paul's epistles and there's just this endearment to the precious treasure of the gospel. And we get to do this again today to offer hope to people that are dying a spiritual and even sometimes physical death. We get to do this, the gospel, and we get to advance it. I'm here in chains, he says, but I don't care because the chains have actually been used by God for the greater good of the advancement of the gospel. Not only here in Rome, but it's also encouraging you back in Philippi to be confident in the Lord, to dare all the more to proclaim. Like they're saying, man, if he's in chains and he's doing this, why can't we do it? Let's hit the street. Let's talk to our friends. Let's talk to our neighbors. And so we ended last week by saying this. Joy is fleeting when based upon circumstances, but steadfast when founded upon Christ himself and his eternal purposes. Rock solid truth all the way through this letter. 
That's where his mindset is at. Where's your joy found at? Is your joy found in your circumstances this week? Hopefully it was maybe altered from our thinking last week and that you found your joy in Christ himself and his eternal purposes of what he is doing. That's why he gave the hashtag in his Instagram account. I am in chains for Christ, and he's pretty excited about it. All right? I want to step into the next part of this letter as we continue to move through it. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambitions, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. Oh, let's just stop right there. It's not just that the man is in chains. Guess what? He's got some opposition. Any of you got some opposition in your life today? Look what he says. There's these people out there. Have you seen them? They're in my world. They're in my circuit. They're they're my orbit. They're doing things out of envy and rivalry. There's a bunch of selfish ambition going on with those people. And what they're doing, they're not doing it out of sincerity and preaching the gospel of Christ. And they're just out there to stir up trouble. Got any troublemakers in your life? People that you feel are opposing you, that aren't out to help you? I really don't know, of course, what the scenario fully is here. The context doesn't tell us, but apparently Paul shows up. He preaches, and he's sort of having to make an impact. And maybe these people that were having some impact with the gospel started to take a step back and go, well, wait a second. Who do you think you are, Paul, showing up on our turf, thinking you can get all the accolades about the gospel? Huh. It's good you're in prison. While you're holding back there now, we're going to step forward and we're going to make do and we're going to be able to, to sort of show our stuff now to people. Hey, we're back. Paul, poor Paul, he's in prison. But let me share the gospel with you. And he hears about this. He hears about this undercurrent. This isn't heathen people. These aren't even false teachers like he, he has to deal with in some other epistles. These are people who are Christ followers, who have the gospel, but whatever they're doing out on the street while he's in house prison, they're doing it out of selfish ambition. And they're not preaching Christ with sincerity. They're sort of stirring up trouble. For Paul, there's envy and rivalry going on. And Paul just sits back and he goes, wait a second, guys. This like makes me want to vomit. Now, Can you relate with that today? I can. It's my vocational world. I'm in church business. And I see churches pitting themselves against other churches. I see denominations sort of carrying a little bit of an elitism towards other people. Friends, we've got 700 um, missionaries in 70 different countries, but that's not like, hey, look at the alliance. I could tell you about other denominational movements that have far more than that. And I cheer them on. If Christ and the gospel at the center what they're doing, we are all together one in this, and we should not have rivalry and pit each other. I believe that to be true of churches in this valley. There needs to be a spirit of camaraderie, camaraderie and unity of purpose. Oh, oh look, look, look at us. Look what we got going. Now, it's not blatantly said that way. 
But sin affects us all. It can even affect me in that regards. And we have to just rightfully say, Lord, this is your deal. But that's not what was happening with Paul. Now, how was he going to respond to those? Well, you got to look at some of these other words there. He wants Christ to be preached to others out of goodwill. To do so out of genuine love and with sincerity. The Apostle Paul knew the kind of spirit that a Christian needs to have, that you and I need to have when we are dealing with people that need to hear the gospel. Should a Christian be different? Should they look different, sound different, act different? You bet. Let's not be competitive people to the point of disdaining what others do. You don't get ahead by pushing others down. You just chart your course for Christ and live a life fully in him. People will be attracted to that. Even people that are your enemies will have conviction about that. The Apostle Paul, he had opposition around him. The particular opposition he's addressing at this time was not false teaching, but it was just some minor correction, if you will, attitudinal adjustments. He says this, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ has preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Bing, hashtag joy in Christ, because the gospel's going forward, even though there are a bunch of yahoos. <laughs> now, he didn't say yahoos, right? But even though there's dissension in the ranks and there's people that aren't doing it with right motives. I'm glad that the gospel's going forward. Why? His passion was the kingdom of God in every way. And because of this, I rejoice. So let me just put up a number one kind of point for you today. Surrender your personal agendas to God's in dissensions. Do you find yourself in dissension with some other people? Do you find ulterior motives? It may not even be anything that has to do with the gospel going on around you. You're going to struggle to try to defend yourself, to try to do the one-upmanship, to try to push back like they're pushing towards you. That's part of our culture, right? It's part of our culture. It's hard to let God's agenda arise supreme. Here, even in the midst of, of other people preaching the gospel in a disposition and a spirit in which was not honoring to Christ, Paul says, I defer to God's agenda. And God's doing something here that I don't know about. I had to reflect on this a lot this week. I have a dear friend who actually this morning was his last Sunday at the church that I uh, left uh, five years ago that I was a part of, helped start for 20 years. Um, that church in Indianapolis, Indiana has gone through some transition, staff transition. And my friend, this was his last Sunday um, on staff at the church. He was transitioning. And that brought up a lot of feelings for me as I tried to encourage him about his transition, thinking about my transition from five years ago. And what's so easy to do in our spirit is to pick up a spirit of bitterness or resentment or defensiveness. I'm like, Lord, I don't understand this. Somehow in your sovereignty, you released me from that church. God's given me uh, the blessing of a great church here in Southern California. My friend, I prayed for him this morning in his transition. He doesn't know where he's going, but God's going to land him somewhere. 
and I just have to defer, surrender my personal agenda to God's greater agenda in the midst of any type of dissension. Paul practiced it. We see it in these verses up front. You want to know how I'm doing? Let me tell you how I'm doing. The gospel's being advanced, even though there's dissension, I'm in chains, and there's uncertainty about my future. Verse 18 goes on, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. He picks right back up. I'm going to continue to rejoice. But then he transitions a little bit. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. He now looks away from that which was happening locally, and he begins to see things more in a global kind of perspective. Through your prayers. Who's praying for Paul? The Christians where? At Philippi, right? They're doing what we did today. We stand up, let's pray. An incredible privilege. You have missionaries, people in our, you pray for them. We can intercede through the spirit and be a partner in their work wherever they're at around the world. And these people that were his dear followers, the followers of Christ and uh, that were dear to him in Philippi had been praying for him. And they've been praying for what? This is key. God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ. They were praying that the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, would be powerfully with him in his environment. Now, when you come to follow Christ, Jesus comes to live within you. I repent, I surrender, I believe in the good news, the gospel. I'm now going to turn from my life of indifference. I'm now going to follow Jesus. At that moment, the spirit of Christ comes to dwell within you. So why would they pray that he would have the provision of the spirit when he already had the spirit? It's because different places throughout scripture and throughout Acts, you will see that the Christians who had the spirit were then filled with the spirit or they were empowered by the spirit. If you did sort of a a word study here, it all references that they were praying that he would have an abundant supply of the spirit. And so they're praying that Paul in his adversity would be um, sort of souped up with a powerful supply of the spirit in this moment. When's the last time you prayed for somebody else to have an abundant supply of the spirit of Christ come upon them? Maybe you see them in a discouraged time. Maybe they're um, uh, not even physically feeling well. Whatever it may be, the spirit of Christ can come upon people and empower and equip, equip and quicken them. And so they were praying for Paul that he would have the provision of the Spirit, not because he didn't have the Holy Spirit, he had the Holy Spirit, but that the Spirit would be full in some greater way than he's ever had before, maybe in the midst of his circumstances, so that it will turn out for his deliverance. Paul wanted to be delivered. He wanted to get out of there. He wanted to continue on with his mission, his deliverance. They were praying. They were praying that he'd be full of the Spirit. Number two, be sincere and diligent in praying for other believers. Not just in passing, oh, trust the Lord, I hope they're okay today. Help them out. Take concerted time, five minutes. Could you pray for five minutes for a brother or sister who's in a place of struggle? A Christian brother or sister and pray for them. And be sincere Don't pray out of envy or or some type of self-centeredness, all right? Because it's a rivalry, pray sincere and diligently for other 
believers. Yes, we pray for non-believers, but pray for believers. And around this room, we could go through the list, all kinds of things happening one for another. It's one of the reasons to be connected in life groups so we can pray one for another. Pray one for another. Three with that, though, is this. Expect the Spirit to supply power for every Christian. Let's pray that the Holy Spirit can come upon our friends, our neighbors, our relatives who are believers and quicken them with a supply of power for what they need in that day. And when you pray, don't sit back and go, well, God, if you happen to be available today, if it's not running low, could you just pour a little Holy Spirit that direction? That's not how the people there prayed for him. They prayed diligently and sincerely that the Apostle Paul would have a supply of the Holy Spirit's power. So, you got a name, a Christian, in your mind right now that needs strength. You got it? Got their name? Search through your database there. You got it? Flip through your phone maybe to remind. You got the name of that person? 30 seconds. We're going to put it into practice. You pray sincerely for them to be supplied with the Spirit's power in this moment, wherever they are. Let's pray. Amen. Somebody said, I need to keep going. Pick it up later. <laughs> Isn't that cool? You don't have to take a number to God. You just say, Jesus, I want to pray now. And I want to pray for your fullness to come upon them. It's powerful and effective. Expect the spirit to supply the power. And do not be negligent in praying one for another. I eagerly expect and hope, Paul says in verse 20, that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. The reality is Paul is in suffering. But in his suffering, he's deferring to whatever God's will is. He does not want them to... Um, shrink back from their praise, their prayers. He wants them to know that um, the courage that he needs is the courage that will enable Christ to be exalted. He's got a court date coming up. How are you going to do with the court date, Paul? I don't know. This is not easy to do. But I want Christ to be glorified in this. Pray in the midst of the persecution of this trial that I have sufficient courage and I don't know what the verdict will be. Maybe they'll say, you're free to go. Maybe they'll say, all right, your sentencing is going to be death. He didn't know. But he was asking that there would be strength given to him so that Christ would be exalted in his body no matter what happened. So number four, pray for Christ's unusual strength upon the suffering. In particular, those who are suffering for Christ. Now, we really could park here a long time and talk about some of our international workers. 
in the sufferings that are going on around the world because they're taking a stand for Christ and national Christians in some of these places. Won't park there. But I tell you what, you want to gain a heart, a burden for prayer? Find out what's happening in some other places of the world and people that are trying to forward the gospel of Christ. And you'll want to pray for them in the midst of their suffering that they'll be able to stand strong. Pray for Christ's unusual strength upon the suffering. And maybe you did that with the person that you just prayed for, whatever they might be going through. And then this is the key verse in our passage today. Maybe you've heard this statement before. It just rolls right off Paul's tongue. He says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, what does he mean by that? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He gives some explanation with it. As you follow on, it says, for if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. He knows if he's able to live for Christ, there's going to be more fruit. He wants to give back to the Christians in Philippi. He wants to get on to Spain. He wants to do some other cool things. He's like, man, for me to live is, you want to know how I'm doing? I am doing so good because the gospel's going forward. And if I can keep living and not get sentenced to death, then I'm really excited because more living means more advancement of the gospel. Even if there's adversity, there's going to be advancement. And so he has a heart full of anticipation that, yes, I, I want to, to go on living to be fruitful for God's kingdom purposes. But then he says, verse 23, I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. He's, it's this tug of war thing. Oh, I'm pulled to life. But, oh, I see it coming. I am pulled to death. I sort of, which way would I like to go? I, you know, if I had my own druthers, I'd really prefer just to be with Jesus in his presence. Now, you need to remember this. In those days, there was this conscious understanding that Jesus was going to return at any time. And he will. He can still return. He could return this afternoon, right? Before the chili cook-off, right? Might be better if he did for some of us. But there's, there's this need for us to understand in the context that he is in that uh, this transition of life is like, I mean, I'd rather be with Christ. Death, life, life, death. It's going back and forth. He's torn. He's torn because he knows it's, it's good for the gospel if he remains. But as personal druthers, he would rather be in the presence of Christ passing from this life to the next. And there was no doubt. He didn't think he was going to go into some soul sleep or something like that. He knew, as he stated later, absent from the body, present with the Lord. If he died, he's present with the Lord. And he struggles. That's why he says, for me, to live is Christ and the advancement of the gospel. And to die, if they do send me to death, well, I'll be. Thank you very much. I get to go be with Jesus. And that's not some, like, religious statement off the top. He sincerely was excited about being with Jesus. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy. He was convinced in the spirit that he would live. This is not one of those death dire kind of, it's like he, he really believed he was going to probably get out. Your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ, Jesus will abound on account of me. Not boasting in Paul, 
but boasting in Christ because of the gospel that Christ uh, brought to them through Paul. So number five, see death as the means to greater life for the believer. Friends, we live in a culture that says, get everything out of this life. We live in a culture where we're not around a lot of death. Sort of changed the first half of the 20th century. You didn't have hospice. You didn't have nursing homes. Extended families sort of lived together. You literally saw people die in your household as a child. That makes an impact. And it doesn't make you want to squeeze everything out of this life. It just makes you right-size what all of reality in life's about, that we're just passing through. But in our culture today, there's this push to say everything needs to be in this life. Get more, have more, experience more. The Apostle Paul, his mindset was not there at all. His mindset, knowing that the brief years God gives us on this earthly existence, transforms into eternal years in his presence, ultimately in a new heaven and a new earth. He did not see death as something to fear. And we could use a good dose of that in our life. Well, why don't we talk about dying? When people die around us, sometimes it marks us. My son Levi down here every now and then, he'll say, I miss grandpa. The reason he misses my dad was because that was probably his first real exposure to a funeral. And the morticians, they do a nice job making everything look nice in the casket. And we say, but we're not around death and the dying aspect. My dad died in our house. And thankfully, he um, was able to do that in a place he went. But but I, I remember visiting my dad once and he said to my mom, he says, Gene, I think I'm dying. It's probably maybe a month before he passed away. And my mom, God bless her soul, she's an honest person. She says, well, Charles, you probably are. But guess what? We're all dying. Unless the Lord Jesus comes back, we will all die. But death should not have this sting to us, as it says in one of Paul's other epistles. It should be understood that this death gives way to greater life. And you and I have that hope as a believer. And Paul had that hope for me to live as Christ and to die as to gain. Can you say that when you walk out of here today? I'm not saying say it as a memory verse. I mean, believe it. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. So I sum it up this way. Jesus Christ is to be more important than life itself. And the joy and progress of fellow Christians partnering to advance his gospel more important than departing to be with him. Jesus Christ is to be more important than life itself. And the joy and progress of fellow Christians partnering to advance his gospel more important than departing to be with him. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. I don't have a lot of friends in Southern California outside church circles and some of the people I knew even before I came here. But there was one friendship I developed with a, a man that was about 60. His name was J. Paul Swamidas. He lived over in Orange County. And uh, he had, had a vibrant ministry of coaching people. His wife uh, was a medical doctor and had a um, clinic for people who uh, were considering, you know, abortion or whatever. And so she would be able to try to speak to them about life. And so it was a, a clinic for unwed mothers a lot of times. Some situations impacted their life where they ended up um, heading towards divorce. And uh, 
my friend Jay Paul, who I'd gotten to know through another uh, acquaintance from India, Sunil Sadar, uh, had um, sort of become disenfranchised from a lot of his friends, even some of his family. And for whatever reason, I'd had a connection built with him through our mutual friend, Sunil. And um, so we journeyed together for the last three or four years since I've been out here. We'd text each other. Sometimes I'd have lunch with each other. He had a retreat center up in Running Springs that didn't get finished, and he was wanting to know if I had any means of trying to see that thing finished out. He finally got it sold to somebody else. Uh, he had a good life of impacting people. Originally from India, he was a sergeant in the military. He was one of these type A's strong, but he'd hit a neurological disease and had had some surgeries, and he was frail, frail as could be. A couple years ago, a couple times I was with him, I thought, he's going to die right here as we're having dinner. That's how frail he was. I could hardly understand him because of some issues going on. But God healed and touched his body, and he was getting stronger. And I had lunch with him just a month ago. And uh, I was encouraged by where his strength was. He was thinking, well, maybe I should move to Temecula. Maybe I should be a part of your church. Maybe God's got another season of ministry for me. I said, he does. He does, J. Paul. You hang in there. I believe it was Monday, maybe it was Tuesday, I opened Facebook to this post by my friend, Sunil Sadar in India. My dear friends, Captain J. Paul went to be with the Lord yesterday in Orange County, California. We will meet him again as we believe in the resurrection because our faith in Yeshua Messiah, praying for family and friends, he invested in many people. Goodbye, buddy. I'm like, what? What? I was just supposed to be returning a call and text to him. That's it? He died? He was getting so much better. He's done? It sort of impacted me this week, not because J. Paul and I were all that close, but because of the suddenness of you never know what a day holds. He invested in many people. Goodbye, buddy. Goodbye for now. We will see you soon because of the resurrection. Are you investing your life in people? Is your mindset the mindset of Paul for me to live as Christ and to die as gain? J. Paul this week. And I saw him in a lot of pain and I saw a lot of people through his testimony at least that were not being very friendly to him. But today, J. Paul has his reward. His last text to me was one of tremendous opposite uh, 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 encouragement. He quoted Romans 8, 1. He was always sending me these texts of encouragement, even though I knew he was in a prison of physical, physically being incapacitated. I'm glad that we have the hope that to live is Christ and to die is gain.